Welcome to Greater Patchock Podcast. We still haven't thought of a name, but we're discussing. We're in discussions. We'll go with that. It's like the, like the baby who's been born and doesn't have a name yet. Yeah, that's fine. You gotta make a name, give it a name soon. Yeah. Or get insurance for it. I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> um, so uh, this is Mike White, uh, publisher of GreaterPatchock.com. Uh, here with Tom Wonk from the uh, Float Place. Hello, guys. What's going on? My co-host. And today we have uh, James Skidmore. Uh, I'm not even sure... How to follow that, because you wear a lot of hats, um, but lifelong Patchogian, correct? Correct, yes. And probably best known for uh, bartending at the Sage Cafe. Yeah, Sage Cafe, the Brickhouse Brewery, and uh, many other local fine watering holes. Right. Uh, and now you're at uh, at Toast Coffee House. Sure. I'm the general manager of Toast Coffee House here in Patchog. I've got a location in Port Jefferson, a new one opening up in Bayshore real soon. Real soon? Real soon. Okay. <laughs> I'll put that in the headline. Um, 2018, guaranteed. <laughs> and anything you say does not reflect the opinions of Toast Coffee House, correct? That's correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, you know what I, I, you know, you and I have known each other for a few years now, and uh, you were right off the bat when I was um, launching GreaterPatchock.com. You were super enthusiastic and supportive, and uh, like many people were in town, uh, but you especially. So um, you know, thanks. Thank you for that. Um, you gave me a lot of confidence uh, in, in this project when we first started in 2015. So. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here. With your uh, your resource here is uh, was absolutely necessary, and we're really glad to have you here. And uh, I think it's been beneficial for everyone that's been involved. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one thing we never spoke about: you've been in restaurants. How long have you been in the bar and restaurant industry? Not, uh, my whole entire life. In fact, I uh, got my first taste of working in a restaurant right here in Patchogue, in the village uh, where the location of Mama Lombardi's on the on the bay is. Used to be Mickey Felice's uh, back in the day. That's and, a Patchogue name. Uh, I've absolutely, I still see them all around. <laughs> uh, and at the, I went to South Ocean Avenue Middle School, so I used to leave school at three uh, thirty, walk down to the end of the road there, and uh, I would help my mom bus tables, and uh, she would drive me home. I uh, got my first taste in the restaurant business, and I always enjoyed it, and it's always been part of my life and part of the family. So, now your mother was in the business as well. My mother was in the business back then. She was okay. a single mom going to school and yeah. raising three kids at the uh, at a very uh, young age. Wow. And, uh, and a dynamic him. woman, and uh, I owe her a, a great debt of gratitude. So, what was it about? Um, so, you started off as you know busing tables, and where'd you go from there? Well, busing tables, and uh, I started working, and uh, I ended up working in the food industry, no matter where I was. Uh, I guess you know you always have your first job where you get a paycheck, and I think uh, that first job was actually at uh, King Cullen. And I worked <laughs> in the uh, deli department. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, and so I kind of continued in that route. And from there, I ended up uh, uh, working behind the line at uh, Joseph's Green Gin over in Sable. And uh, I haven't stopped. So when you were at the deli department, you were, were you, did you use the slicer? Sure. I hear every single person ask for it. Make, make sure it's extra thin. Does anyone say extra thick? <laughs> I've never heard extra thick. So not, for some, not for deli meat, anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yes, they always wanted paper thin, yeah. and it even came with a couple of fingertips in my experience oh, over God. the years. Oh, my own, actually. Yes. Uh, but you only do that once, and then you learn your lesson. Gotcha. That's, that's probably the only way to learn. <laughs> yeah, slicer. I, I worked uh, – I managed a, a deli before I started the float place, and uh. the slicers, when they're sharpened, especially right after they're sharpened, like they're so – sharp and the blade's spinning so fast like you could easily slice a bit of your 
you know, tip of your right, finger right. off. And you and I do the same thing going like this. Um, <laughs> and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. And you look down and you're like, holy shit. You probably see the blood first before you yeah, feel it. Freaking night. Yeah, it was one of the things I do not miss about working in the deli. Oh, oh man. Thank you. God. So it's been a real slice of heaven. Do you guys yeah. have smaller fingers than the rest of us? <laughs> well, I, I, I do have one deli smaller finger. finger. This is the one, too. Oh, God. Yeah, this, uh, I used to get my pointer finger every time. Wow. Um, it's all right, man. So, <laughs> so that was your one break from the restaurants when you worked in the deli. Still, sure, well, f- still that was food. before I actually went into. Um, you know, I actually ventured into uh, the Joseph's Grange Inn, which is, I guess, uh, I can't even remember the name. It's on the corner of Broadway and Main over in Sable, and I don't know if it's Sweet Magnolias or something like that, mm-hmm. or it used to be. Uh, but anyway, that used I to be Joseph's Grange Inn, and um, and um, you know, I started working behind the line, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, then I had the opportunity to attend bar, and I jumped all uh. over it. Uh, there was the hours were better. I could drink, and and really my adventure into the restaurant business was really about the love of alcohol. Yeah, and uh, that started a, a major love affair, affair and career that uh, spans decades now. Great, well, congratulations! No, oh, cheers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I think it's a you know I worked in the bar business a long time too, and it's such a such an interesting animal compared to working in other industries and working in other other even in other food businesses you know what i mean like working in like i worked in breakfast places as well um and it's it's drinking it's the camaraderie that you get when you're drinking with the other people and just the especially when you're working at a place and it's like oh what time you done oh come on the other side of the bar and have a drink with us and then all of a sudden it's six hours past your shift and you're in the third bar afterwards you're like what the fuck (laughs) how did it even happen where's the money i made tonight where did that you know um yeah that was and you get in you get in that loop you get in that cycle and it's just you know it's easy to fall into how many years did you do it Tom? I bartended uh, 14 years, 15 wow. years. Whereabouts? I bartended at Lily Flanagan's in Islip for yeah. 10 years. Uh, Bayside Clan Bar in East Islip for three, uh, four seasons because it's only like a right. seasonal place. And then here in Patchogue recently at Fulton's Gate at the other end of town. Oh, you were at Fulton's Gate? Yeah. I was oh, there wow. from the time they opened until about a year ago. Year and a half oh, wow. Ago. Very cool. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it was great business. It was very good to me. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough that I worked with people that always – you know, they, they weren't too out of control. They were out of control enough Just where I had enough a really to keep good time. It interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but not not too out of control. So I was very fortunate with that. And right. I always lived kind of far away from the places I worked at. So I always knew, like, I could have as much fun as I want, but I'm gonna have to drive home at some point. So I can't really get too out of control. You had a restrictive plate. Yeah, somewhat. Um, yeah, <laughs> it usually worked. <laughs> um, I always wanted the bartender. I was I bust tables from 13, then. You know, waited tables till I was about 22, 23. And, uh, at some point when I was looking for, to make some extra, extra scratch, I was, I wanted to get a bartending job, but my girlfriend at the time was like, wasn't into it. She didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's really, uh, it's tough to have that kind of life as far as, especially once you get older and you're starting to have like a family and that kind of thing, like live, working in the bar industry. It's tough. It's not yeah. to say it's impossible because it's certainly not, but it's not, it's not easy. You definitely have to have a partner who, knows what they're getting into right. otherwise it's not gonna work right <laughs> it's good advice um yeah. james what was what, what was some of the your most favorite things about the business and what was some of the things that you kind of what then uh with you over the years well i i tend to bar for you know i physically tended bar for over 25 years i don't even know the exact date not quite 30 uh but uh, i always enjoyed oh. Tending bar just because I'm a social being, um, and I actually enjoy talking to a lot of people. So uh, it was always a kind of a natural thing to do. I was able to drink. I was able to hang out with my friends. I made great money. 
I was able to travel, take time off. So through my whole 20s, I did nothing but really I, I partied and got paid to party. And on my time off, I, you know, traversed the planet a couple of times and yeah. I had a great time doing it. And at the time, uh, you know, when I went out and traveled, I, I didn't go out drinking for these places. I didn't go to places like Mexico or Cancun and, and drink myself on my vacation. I, that's what I did at work. You yeah. know, I really <laughs> took the time to explore, appreciate the cultures and really dive, you know, delve deep into what the culture was all about. And that was the experience I want. And I couldn't even say it was vacations at the time. This was about exploration. This was about you know, really traveling the world and experience what cultures have to offer. Uh, bartending has done me a great deal of, uh, it's been an asset to almost everything I do in my life right now, too. Not only did I have the ability to travel and do the things I wanted in life, uh, but it also, I was able to deal with a lot of different people on a lot of different levels from a lot of different areas of life. And it's a skill that I was able to hone in on. And I could easily go from one people talking about uh, sports and then talk to politics and talk to all people from uh, businessmen, from, you know, you know, construction workers yeah. and all sorts of things on a myriad of different subjects. And uh, I, I really enjoy it. And when I look back at the the things that were important about bartending and what I brought from it, those are the things that were important. Yeah, the, the hippies and guidos, uh, a fact that I was, um, you know, I was, uh, sort of prided myself, you know, I could hang out with the fist pumpers one night and hang out with the hippies the next night and, and it's all good, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, and certainly those are skills that translate into, you know, that will benefit you as a person no matter where, no matter what you do with, with, with your life. Yeah. Those, uh, the communication skills, I, I, I definitely honed in on those in my bartending years. And for, for that, I am forever grateful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things like that, the ability to kind of talk to anybody in any kind of situation, um, that's an asset. You know what I mean? It's an asset that you bring no matter where you go with you. And now what you're doing with the float place, you know, you do a lot of a lot of talking with people, right? Especially in the... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially and, when people come out of their float and they're all open-minded and we'll talk about, you know, kind of whatever was going on in their float or whatever, you know, pretty yeah. much wherever the conversation goes, they're into it, uh, which is just amazing because a lot of people, especially in today's way, world are not like that at all. They're... The conversation isn't going where they want it to go or, or you don't agree with them. It's like the end of the conversation or it's an argument or whatever it is. Right. And then people after the float, they're just like, wow, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought of it that way rather than like arguing their point. They're know? like open. Yeah. And that's uh, they're, they're like an opening up mode, right? Oh, you know, yeah. As far as opening up their brain and and their own feelings or whatever they're, they're might be going through. Yeah, man. People just feel peaceful afterwards. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's great. <laughs> you can't put it into words, honestly. James, you floated a, f a few times, right, over yeah, at the float place in Patrick? quite a bit. Yeah. I've uh, always enjoyed uh, my experiences with the float, and it really does give me uh, uh, the necessary reboot I need in, with my busy lifestyle. Uh, I was also, you know, it's really one of the most incredible floats I had is that I, I actually was able to experience uh, pure joy. Uh, which was absolutely one of the most incredible experiences I've had, which wasn't a drug-related experience. The fact that you can bring yourself down, uh, bring yourself to this uh, joyful state without the help of any type of drugs by just sitting there. And I know that meditation is real. I know that when you get a little bit deeper into yourself that you can experience all that the universe has to offer. And the flow place and uh, that type of method really brings you into a deep meditative state. Yeah. So there's a great appreciation for what that brings to, to myself, uh, both uh, uh, in, in my material world as well as spiritually. Just another cool place that came to Patchogue for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, no surprise that, uh, you know, Tom and Hardy and the Flow Place are here because it's part of the equation. And it's part of the puzzle that we're building and part of the city that we will become. How do you describe Patchogue to, to folks that uh, 
may not have been here in several years or what do you what's the first thing you go to you go to a restaurant you go to the no, I, and the first thing I usually go to is is basically the how we've progressed. Yeah. You know, being here, and I've seen it in many different peaks and valleys in different states, and uh, so to see this uh, this newly uh, this new type of renaissance that's come to Patchogue, it's uh, thrilling, and also because I'm able to play a part in that. You yeah. know, it's been fun all these years. I've been a spectator, uh, but now I get a helping hand in creating what Patchogue is, and so that's a completely different experience, and one to be quite honest, I I really never expected to have a hand in. Wow, you never really did, huh? No, uh, well, I guess so. so I guess did- I materialized it all somehow, but you know, these weren't the things I was thinking about behind the bar. Part of your intentions, you know, you know, that definitely wasn't my focus. What I enjoyed was I really just enjoyed traveling and drinking, and yeah. a- until that wasn't enjoyable anymore. Right. And at what point does that become? Is that a gradual thing, or does something happen? Health no, issue, or, you know. Being behind the bar or drinking. Not just partying. In, in oh, well, the partying just gets tiresome. And eventually, you know, it went from uh, being the life of the party to being no party at all. And, you know, you went from uh, uh, having a nice vodka and orange juice. And the next thing you know, there was less orange juice. And, and then there was no ice. And then there was no orange juice. And then there was no glass. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you're feeding your addiction and you're not paying attention to the things around you. What I... Wow. Uh, when I think about alcohol, though, in general, is what the thing that really irks me the most about the experience is the moral decline, too. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that you're not giving yourself any of that respect. And I think that's the most uh, detrimental thing uh, to my overall being was the fact that I uh, that the drinking uh, became habitual and also, you know, it. it it, it deteriorated the way I think and the way I do things and and why I do things. And to me, that was the most disturbing part of the experience. And actually, one of the th- great things about uh, uh, actually relapsing and falling back into drinking again is that it made it very clear that this is the direction that I cannot go in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very confident about my future to be uh, sober and to be able to create things. And, you know, I've lost a lot of time. But I gained a lot of knowledge, too. So right. there's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. But how you wield that sword, you know, it can with precision, you can attain all your goals. Without it, you can make a real mess. I'm sure it, uh, it upsets your sense of who you are. Um, you know, when you talk about moral decline, decay, you probably find yourself doing things that in your heart you feel don't reflect who you are as a person. Oh, but absolutely. yet you can't change people's perceptions of you once that those those things happen right and i would hate to be judged on a, a moment in my life when when my head wasn't clear right. the fact is i was able to overcome that and you know and create something else the things i do today if you would have asked me 10 years ago that i'd be doing i i would think that you were the one that was out of your mind you know <laughs> if i was the president of anything i would have just laughed in your face you know i'd be like no nah, this is my life i go out yeah. i drink i party i fall down and i start all over again you know but yeah. i still managed to run a multi-million dollar business i still managed uh, to uh, book bands and create a lot of things and then just like that within a moment's time i wasn't able to to do that anymore uh, alcohol's very sneaky. You can do the same thing for decades, and all of a sudden, six months, you're in a place that you've never been before. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and do you think one of the – and kind of retouching on my own point I was trying to make, uh, do you think people's inability to sort of face reality, face things they've done, uh, worry about what people may think or say about them keeps them drinking versus sort of uh, – 
I'm not sure if this is making any sense. but um, No, it absolutely does. And it's okay. definitely a contribution to your downfall because all of a sudden you're not thinking properly either. So all of a sudden other people's uh, views or attitudes to what you are and what you do becomes a, a focus when it isn't. Mm-hmm. The focus should be on taking care of yourself. And also you're, when, you're, when you're drinking that much, your body's deteriorating. It, it, it's, it's dying. So you spend your time healing your own body instead of healing the world that's around you. So that's what I'm doing right. now, which is, uh, which is really the, the great, uh, that's the other side of the sword. It's like, okay, now I can do this with precision because I know when I don't do this, this is what I get. Sure. And, and not only like, like you just said to sort of reiterate what you said, not only are you not taking care of yourself, but you know, uh, you're not doing your sort of Dharma. If I could borrow a, a Buddhist word, uh, and you're not helping others either. That inhibits you from, spreading some good in this world right absolutely and that's the you know essence of respect is the essence of community too if you respect yourself you respect the people around you and then you can bring everyone to a new level including yourself and the rising tides rise all ship is one of my favorites uh, aphorisms because i feel that applies uh, not only to my personal experience but to patchog as well patchog certainly does that that should be their motto <laughs> um but uh and then and now you don't really you're working at a uh, I called it banker's hours a few times. You, you took offense to that, but you're working <laughs> a, a breakfast and lunch place, and you're not really around that at, at, as much as you used to anyway, right? Yeah, well, it's a, the whole business is a little bit different because now you're concentrating on breakfast and, uh, and lunch, and we're closed at 3 o'clock, but your day starts much earlier. Uh, but in a place like at the Brick House where I was working, it's basically a 24-7 business. Your bartenders leave at 4 o'clock. The cleanup crew comes in at 6 o'clock. And when you're the only manager that happens to live in Patchogue within walking distance, well, guess who gets called for all that? <laughs> so I, I really left a 24-7 business to actually get back to you know some type of rhythm and life. You know, yeah. So uh, important you- stuff altogether, really. It's actually uh, being at Toast has actually been healing. When you finally, you know, not finally, but I should say finally, like it's a bad thing, but when you finally left Brickhouse and you kind of looked back, did you kind of realize how you were busy and you kind of like kept yourself kind of going? No, leaving the Brickhouse was, it took a couple of years for me. Yeah. It was a very difficult leap. Uh, first of all, the Brick House was very supportive in my uh, rehabilitation from alcohol. They're the ones that sent me to rehab, and uh, they took care of that, you know, because I was a good employee. I, I took care of my business. I took care of my staff, uh, and they took care of my health. So saying that uh, I could no longer be here was quite difficult, and I couldn't be there, not because the Brick House changed, but I did. Yeah. You know, I changed so dramatically. One day, I'm sitting behind the bar. I left rehab. I was sat there. I came straight back to work. The day after, I started working again. I worked for another two years behind the bar, and it took two years for that fog to lift. That's how bad I was, how deep I was in with the alcohol. And then that fog slowly lifted, and I'm like, holy shit, this job sucks. (laughs) I got a bunch of freaking 20-year-olds spitting on me, and, uh, you know, I've had enough, you know, and I really, and I, and again, I went to the brick house, and I said, listen, I'd love to stay here, but I can't do it in this job, in this capacity. And guess what? They created me a new job. And, you know, how fantastic is a business that only supports you in your rehabilitation and then offers you a new job so they can keep you. And then you turn around and a year later, you're like, wow, I don't want to be here anymore. And because, uh, you know, it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. But it was also scary because bartending was what I did my whole entire life. 
So I, not only was I taking a leap and a leap of faith without any uh, financial backing, you know, I had, there was nothing. I really had nothing to offer. I just needed to, but I knew I couldn't stay. And yeah. so when you reach the point where you don't know where you're going to or you stay exactly the same, I will take that leap into the unknown anytime. And uh, in my, in the future, that's definitely going to be part of my motto. When I'm done with yeah. something, I'm going to say, done, let's go. If life is about experiences, then shit, I'm going to create some more experiences. I want to do some new things all the time. Delve into the realm of infinite possibilities, right? No doubt. Yeah. I'm with you. I kind of had the same attitude. Um, and then you left, and then uh, you ended up at TJ Fridays, right? Yeah. Funny enough. Did uh, they have a sticky behind the bar over there? No, no, no. <laughs> that wasn't the type of work I right, did right. over there, which was kind of fun, too. But it was actually – what was great about it is I was able to use uh, my experience be in the restaurant, and I was able to contribute without actually working in a restaurant, right? <laughs> uh, which was fantastic. And we made a lot of suggestions and a lot of things at a corporate level. And how exciting that you can be part of a project that may have went to 900 stores. And even the project they were hmm. working on was recreating creating the image of, of TJIF Fridays as Fridays. And you notice if you're in Farmyville, it's just a Fridays, not a TJIF. And yeah. that was the new look for all of North America. And I was able to have a helping hand in that process. So someone who's been in the business so long and was able to contribute in that, in that way was incredibly satisfying. And not to mention, uh, it gave me the time and the money to think things through and uh, start something fresh. And now my life's really, the trajectory is completely different than the restaurant business. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, it was able to make that transition uh, a lot smoother and uh, on the surface anyway. Otherwise, it was a pretty difficult transition no matter how you look at it. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with myself that I was able to uh, garner up that courage and take that leap. Yeah, good for you. Now, <clears throat> something I didn't mean to ask you. How much crack cocaine does this Toast Coffee House like, cook into there? Waffles and, and French toast. I mean, this place, you can go there on a Tuesday on a snowy day or a rainy day where everyone else is struggling, and that place is popping. Well, there's no uh, doubt. But I would have to say, like it. It, it's not crack cocaine. Yeah. It's cane sugar, baby. <laughs> you know, people love French toast. People love maple syrup. People love things that are uh, sugar-laden for breakfast. I've never been to any place quite like the States where, you know, sugar-laden cereals are all over the craze. Yeah. But, you know, as you get older, you know, uh, you know, a tasty mimosa and a French, froze, a French toast dripping in some syrup is a pretty uh, nifty alternative. And you, you look yeah. good while you do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Have you been there? Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't insult me. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I, I kind of like going there by myself because I could usually cut in yep. and get right at That's the spot move. at the counter and, uh, you know, be in and out in like 20 minutes, a half hour. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get to enjoy toast because of that same exact reason. You see me there all the time, able to just go to the counter, try going with three other people. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Might go, you might have to go shoe shopping. For, a whole other so. different experience. And I'll tell you how crazy this business is. I and mean, it's really nice to be a part of an energy that moves so quickly and there's a great momentum. A lot of times I just kind of enjoy being there to watch how it works. You know, it's really nice to see a well-oiled machine in, in, mm -hmm. in, pro in its progress all the time. And I watch it now uh, with the third Mother's Day at Toast under my belt. It was so nice to see how things uh, ran a little bit smoother. And, you know, a lot of times after a year's time, it's you got to relearn everything again. But this year we had kind of the same staff we knew what we were getting into i was better prepared for what was coming up but if you put your name on a line on a list at eight o'clock in the morning at 8 20 in the morning you are not being sat till 11 30 12 o'clock in the yeah. afternoon <laughs> wow i mean 
badass. Yeah, it's so much badass. fun. <laughs> it is badass. And then hopefully Bayshore. You know what I noticed about Patch, uh, Patchog and Toast is the amount of daytime foot traffic. For one, that parking lot, I don't know if this is sensitive, but that parking lot behind you guys is now filled all the time from like the day you opened. Um, and uh, and the, the amount of daytime foot traffic increased noticeably overnight. Uh, and I hope that happens in Bayshore because um, that downtown is awesome. The, the restaurants are are you know probably among the best on Long Island as far as being clustered like that. Um, it just, uh, you know, a lot of people work in the downtown. Uh, so they're there during the day, but um, not as many people are, are going out to do stuff uh, midday, midweek in Bayshore as they are in Patchogue. But I think Toast is going to really change that. Yeah, I have no doubt that we're going to change the dynamics of their morning commute, uh, their the foot traffic in uh, Bayshore, and I wish they would just uh, give us those final stamps of approval. We're going to improve their neighborhood as well. Yeah, dealing with the town of Islip. Yeah, well, that's a whole different story. Whoever's out there, give us our stamp. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Excuse me. Oh, Benny's here, by the way. Benny Migliorino. Benny Migs photo and video. We always like to give him a shout out. He, uh, we share, if people don't know, Greater Patchog and Benny Migs photo, we share uh, an office tower. On uh, He's got the first 10 floors. I have the the top 10 floors. And then, uh, but he comes up into the studio. You know, for these podcasts, so it is great that you put the studio in the penthouse, so we have the nice view. Yes, exactly. that is a very good move. Yeah, we can see uh, Fire between Island. the <laughs> Fire Island, the cemetery next door. <laughs> I see the food mart over on Waverly Avenue, one of my favorite places to brown bag it with a natty daddy. Well, back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got handed notes. Oh, oh, well, we have a, we have a news a news bulletin. Sound engineer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. So we actually didn't mention that you're the president of the. Greater Patrick Chamber of Commerce. I'm not sure if you wanted to. No, no. I didn't mention. I actually, we did mention that I wear, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple of different hats. Right. So uh, besides being the general manager of Toast Coffee House here in Patchogue, I'm the president of the Greater Patchogue Ch- uh, Chamber of Commerce. I'm the president of the Greater Patchogue Foundation, and I'm responsible for running Alive After Five here in Patchogue, uh, an honor that I've had for the past five years. I've been involved with that for about 14 years, um, but now, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, handling the reins of uh, this event. So we brought it from a place where we had 10, 12, 14,000 people to now we have 20, 22, 25,000 people yeah. at that event. It's uh, and so nice it that really it's is. turned into a kind of a regional um, a festival. And I actually, uh, I'm actually already working uh, towards next year. So whoever does take over the event, which I'm, uh, will actually be leaving this year. This will be my last year. I'm setting up for the, uh, for whoever does take over, and I'm going to leave that person in a very good shape as far as sponsorships and stuff so they can really reorganize the event because now it really demands year-round attention, sure. and I don't have the time to uh, give it that type of attention. And if I'm I'm really trying to change my focus on a lot of things. So uh, Live After Five leaving also allows it gives me six months of my life back mm-hmm. and a lot more time to focus on the things that I really like to, and which happens to be a lot with uh, human rights and social justice and a lot of global Global issues that I think we need to really consider as if we're going to, uh, you know, progress humanity in, in, in a fashion which is, you know, deserving of every individual. Sure. Now, a couple of years ago, you were flirting with the idea of running for, you know, a village board position or, or appointed board position, um, meaning, you know, planning board or something like that. Are you now looking to be more of a ambassador at the United Nations? <laughs> Actually, that would be fantastic, or any <laughs> type a of a diplomat would be really a lot of yeah, fun too. Just donate I, to the right campaign. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot of 
a lot of things I'd like to accomplish yeah. in life. And, you know, now, I, you know, with the with the drinking behind me and those things, you know, I feel that I've been very fortunate to be here and to work in this capacity or in any capacity. I'm just lucky to be alive. So, uh, you know, th- at this point in my life, I really would like to give back to my community and to, uh, you know, and I like a global presence, too. I mean, why not? You know, if we're going to dream, we might as well dream big. And that doesn't mean that I don't have my eye on becoming a village board trustee or, or the mayor sometime. It doesn't have to happen this year it doesn't have to happen next year you know maybe after i write my book and travel the world again and i can come back and do that as uh, you know in in my uh, well into my senior years who knows uh, but there's a lot of things that are open and that's and i don't discount any of it because i really want to do it all the idea of, of letting alive after five go is really so i can really you know make some conscious decisions on on uh, where i'd like to go in and it's a lot of work i mean that's the type of thing you know it's a volunteer job it's a ton sure. of work uh, you did get it to an amazing place that people probably couldn't even imagine it would go to, and you got other things to do. Right. You got Huffington Post reporters calling you. <laughs> do you regret saying anything to the Huffington Post? No, I do not regret one thing saying. And I think I said something like, I slap racism in the dick, and I will stand by that any time. <laughs> that could be your campaign slogan <laughs> for village trustee. <laughs> uh, that's a whole funny little story, too, and it's very funny how I did come Did they write up- dick, or did they write D- oh, no, no, no. They, they spelt it right out. D-I-C-K. That's how they did it with it. Maybe not even a capital D, but I know they were thinking it. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> it's all good. But I really, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny that, you know, now there's national news and uh, they know I've been a, a lot of television recently, too. And, uh, you know, I kind of I enjoy all this stuff. I'm, I'm naturally a ham. You know, you put me behind a bar of a microphone. I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. You know, it's 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 all fantastic <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And bring it on. I'd like to see some more of that. I'd like to do some more interviews on television, more podcasts, more yeah. uh, television experience, uh, you know, appearances. And I'm sure that I and I know it will happen. It's not even yeah. I'm sure I absolutely know that you're on happen. Channel 12, right? Recently. Uh, Channel 12 recently is yeah. Channel 2 recently. I was also and of course, Verizon Fios. Uh, you know, I don't even think about those things anymore those are just part of the deal i was on um i was on fox news live with greta van susteren and then megan kelly and it just gave me the worst stomach issues you can imagine when you go on tv live have you have any of these things been live sure yeah it's just like these things that go through your mind like what if i said this and then you freak out and then the next day like why would i even think i would even say that you know but you're live and uh and it, it, it just I didn't I didn't like the experience. They kept calling me back in to talk about a story that I really didn't even have much involvement with. Um, but they called me in once, and then they kept calling me back. Uh, and uh, I told them I said I'm not even reporting on this story anymore. They're like that's all right, you're presentable. Um, <laughs> did you do you read the newspapers? Yeah. So I remember one time you could I had the tapes. Uh, Megan Kelly before she sort of blew up. It was Sunday nights they used to send me in. Um, it was a story about a uh, about a groom that went missing on a cruise ship that they were really milking, and um, Megan Kelly goes, "Oh, we're here with Mike White from the New York Post, who's all over this story," and I just start laughing like I'm just, like all over the story. <laughs> like I know nothing about the story. I know as much as anyone else who reads the paper. But anyhow, um, in hindsight, I do regret. Like I just bagged off of that stuff, you know. Um, and now, especially with my own business and uh, and and things like this and Instagram stories and. Facebook lives, I'm realizing that I have to start 
putting myself out there and promoting myself uh, if I'm going to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. And I'm sure that's your goals too. Yeah, absolutely. You got to step right into it, get into the flow. And, you know, I love the uh, fake it to make it concept or whatever you're doing. You just got to go. Yeah, we're, we're all inexperienced at a lot of things. And we don't know how experienced we are until we gain that experience. And the only way you're going to do that, first of all, is show up, be active and step into your dreams and do the things that you want to do. So if we're going to be, you know, TV announcers or we're going to be interviewers or whatever we're going to do, we got to step into it. And you don't have to, you don't need to know anything. You know, it's just like the more I'm around people that are making policies and are, are doing things around, uh, you know, I'm like, I could do that too. If this fella can do that, I sure as hell can do it. If this guy could be the damn center, if this guy could be the damn president, right. there's a lot more that I can accomplish in a better fashion with more respect to the individual. Right. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of those moments myself where like as I get older I'm like looking at the person like this, this guy's in charge? Like him? Like <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Like anybody really could do any can do anything. You get yourself to wherever you want to be. Yep. You know? Yeah, you um, know when the, you get that first big promotion in your life, whether you're in your twenties or whatever it is. Uh I remember when Jackie was got a nice job um over at T J Fridays after you left. And she's a young girl, she's in her twenties. And uh I guess you got a nice promotion or something. And it was like, I feel like I tricked somebody. I'm like, that's how we all feel when we get that, that first big gig. Like, are these people kidding me? Because you know all the fucked up shit you've done. Right. Um, and, and, or, and are capable of doing. And, uh, and then someone hands you the keys at a certain age. You're like, whoa. Um, but I, I told Jack, I said, look, we all go through this. Just, just crush it. Wake up, do your best, and you'll, you'll be great. It doesn't matter if you're 22 or 45. Yeah, absolutely. The fake it till you make it thing is 100% true. If you show up and, and learn as you go, um, and you'll be surprised how fast you learn things and how quick you, you adapt to what you need to adapt to. Human beings it. are amazing at adapting, you know? And get damn good at it, too. Yeah. Yeah, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And yep. it's just, that's just the way you are. Yep, just exactly. that, that person who adapts to things. Yeah, just from me shooting photos at uh, Alive After Five, when I started the company, I would shoot 20 photos and pop them up. And it used to take me, I'd have to shoot two, it was like a broken clock, right twice a day phenomenon. I'd have to shoot 200 photos to get 20 decent ones. Right. And just from doing it again and again and again and again, you get a bit of an eye for it. And now, you know, I could shoot 60 to 80 photos and get, get what I need. Um, so yeah, ab absolutely. Just get better and better at these things you, the more you do it. But taking that initial step is so hard for people. I don't know what people are so afraid of sometimes. Yeah. Uh, people are afraid of a lot of things. And I can tell you for myself, it's first of all, fear is a, a very crippling situation. And, uh, when, uh, you add alcohol to, alcohol to that, you get to, you know, it's, it's more debilitating. Yeah. Um, but I think you just really need to step into everything that you do. And if you have a goal, too, if you, you know, it's great to have a, a, you want to accomplish something. But when you have a target, you're more apt to hit that target. So you need to be focused and stepping into. And I want to make taking chances as a part of my motto, as a part of my life. So that as I step into, uh, you know, in my uh, the youth of my old age Taking chances is what I really want to do. That's what I want to accomplish in life. I want to take more chances. I yeah. want to do. I want to take bigger leaps, and and let's see where it lands me. And eventually, I'm sure that the divine grace will show me the path that I need to take, and where I can actually uh, serve the greater good and my own purpose as well. And you've done quote unquote scary things in your life. Then you move to Europe and live. Um, sure. What was it you had to? I, I, I called it a commune early when you weren't here, but I don't want to. Over no, actually, I uh, actually one of the greatest uh, uh, was a really great opportunity. My girlfriend at the time was uh, going to uh, school at Staffordshire University in England, and I had an opportunity 
to go to this um, this community, this uh, community for learning disabled children, mentally retarded adults. I'm sure that's not the appropriate term anymore, but this was 25, 30 years ago. And you uh, could use the terms you grew up with. Yeah. That should be the rule. Well, we'll we're going to go with that because I don't know the new one. So <laughs> that's how I'm going to roll. That's what yeah, actually was called. Right? That was the title of. The, of well, actually, Camp Hill Communities is an incredibly special community. And I used to work at a summer camp uh, for learning disabled children. And, uh, and concurrently, at the same time, there was a camp on the same grounds for mentally retarded adults. So I worked there as a counselor. I was the nature counselor one year. I was maintenance man. I was a kitchen manager. But every year, I would quit my job at the bar, and I'd go to camp. That's awesome. And so people would come over from places like Buna Camp and Camp America, where if you're from, you know, say, Denmark or Europe or wherever, somewhere, uh, and you wanted to come to America to explore, uh, they would give you your pay at the end of the summer, and you would work for them for a very low price, of course, and then they'd give you your money at your end, and then you had two weeks to explore the country. Yeah, so for me, I had all these beautiful people. People from all over the world, and I had an opportunity to meet people from countries I never thought I would ever go to. Yeah. Uh, but I did notice, amongst the children especially, that uh, I would see one person from one summer be incredibly more well-adjusted the next summer. And I'm like, whoa, what happened to this kid in 10 months that he can go from zero to 60? Yeah. You know, a complete transformation sometimes. And I kept on coming across the same name of this organization called the Camp Hill Village Trust. And there was one in Pennsylvania and there was one in Copake, New York. So I decided after that summer that I wanted to know what was going on at this place. I'm like, oh, you know, Wow. What's Just because you on? saw the change. Because I saw the beings. change in the individual. And wow. I'm like, this is incredibly special. So I'm like, what goes on at this Camp Hill Village Trust? So the girlfriend, we'll go back to the girlfriend, just yeah. so we know where this all kind of correlates, is that she was from England. She went back to England. I went to this Camp Hill Village Trust to trust uh, to check it out after she had uh, started uh, university. And while I was there, I found out that they had uh, organizations all around the world. And in fact, it started in the United Kingdom, this organization in a place called Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, and uh, So I went and I checked out this Camp Hill Village Trust there. And I went there for one day to kind of get a taste of what goes on in this community. I ended up being there for two weeks. And then a month later, I ended up going to their community in England where I stayed there for three years. Now, basically it is. It's kind of a Christian commune, but it's all based on the um, philosophies of uh, a fellow named Rudolf Steiner, who was an Austrian philosopher and mystic and clairvoyant. Um, he created a lot of things, and it, actually his organization stems off Madame Blavatsky's Theosophical Society, which is a great part of mysticism uh, from the early parts of the 1900s. And it's a basis in Rosicrucianism and all sorts of fun spiritual things that we still hear about the Kabbalah and you mm. know the Masonic Order and all these things. But this is they took it more from the Rosicrucian stage, and the Anthroposophical movement started the modern day. Uh, organic uh, movement, uh, biodynamic agriculture. Mm -hmm. I was learning in the early uh, 90s, uh, late 80s at this uh, college in England uh, through the anthroposophical community. And so it was really fantastic. Now you go into uh, uh, Williamsburg and you go into a nice organic place. And if you want to have something that's organic plus it's biodynamic agriculture, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I was learning about that years ago. And it's basically it's organic farming and you're dealing, though, with moon phases as well. So I was mixing manure out at night at midnight in front of the moon phases, you know, 150 times this way. I thought it was the craziest thing ever. Were you drinking <laughs> at the time? Well, yeah, but that was I was in my 20s. OK, you know, so it, was, it wasn't, uh, you know, and I only I had a very small stipend and I didn't have a lot of money to go okay, crazy. So you weren't drinking like that. Yeah. No, no, no. For some reason I was pitching you drunk. 
Oh, no, 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 none of <laughs> Mixing that. Mixing the manure. Uh, no, but uh, I, I could have been. There was a wonderful <laughs> beer there called Tenant Super, which is probably the natty daddy of England. Uh-huh. And uh, I did enjoy those because they were cheap and I didn't yeah. have a lot of money. And, you know, five quid couldn't get you too much. So, right, right, right. Uh, But anyway, I ended up being in this community. I ended up uh, studying uh, philosophy and uh, religion. And I got a real taste of, uh, of who I could become. And I learned a lot about community. And uh, at the time, even when I left, I never realized what an impact that organization had on my life forever but to this day the basis of community sitting at boards making decisions for a wider audience became part of my life so i ended up becoming a a a house father which is a fellow who actually runs a group home so i had my own home and most of the homes run this way it's a mom and a dad and their you know biological three children and then they take on six other people as their extended part of their family, all with very different learning degrees or, you know, mental capabilities. But they all share a house within this community as one family. And everybody has a place within the community. So we had one young lady, Nanabelle was her name, and um, she had Down syndrome and she was very low functioning, but she could do repetitive things with great joy. So this girl churned butter. She would churn butter all day. She would sit there. So when she sat at the dinner table, that butter that you put on the bread was made by her. The bread that you had on the table was baked by the guy next to her. So everybody, even with their different degrees of mental illnesses and capabilities, were able to contribute to the community as a whole. And that's where the special part came in. This is where the well adjustment came. This is when they showed up. There was like, whoa. Of course, because not only are you learning, you are becoming part of the community. You are becoming part of the greater community. And even with your capabilities, you can still contribute. That was the factor that made these young children really progress. And the fact that they could even progress further than that. And we had people that lived in these communities for 25, 30 years. They, They live there. This is their life. These are their families. They grow up with the people there. So to really to get that experience was just phenomenal. And to this day, everything that I do has a basis on that community. The fact when everyone has a chance to contribute, now they are not merely existing. They're part of the creation. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, let me ask you something. At that point in your life, how did you describe all this to your boys back home? No, shit, I didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I went home and I had some... <laughs> no, just, you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, when I got back, it was right back to being yeah. back in the bar okay. and uh, making some money and, uh, you know, right back into the yeah. to the crazy game again. Because I could see myself having done something like what you did and I'm, and uh, probably what would have held me back was picturing, telling my friends what I do. <laughs> well, you know, something my friends were... Were the hippie mentality. Okay, okay. There was no doubt. And, uh, you know, I ran the Sage Cafe in the 90s. So when I came back from there, and I was actually part owner there as well, and we really created a very unique place where we had musicians and artists and creative types. I was there to 4.35 o'clock in the morning sometimes, not because people were drinking, but because they were involved in a great chess match. You know, and we would stay there till the wee hours in the morning. And that was the kind of cerebral experience that this establishment brought to the table. And we created something so special that all these years later, we still, you know, people still talk about this experience and still talk about the place. And long before Patrick had all this music, we were doing it seven days a week, seven nights a week. We had live music. Awesome. 
Yeah, people miss the uh, Sage Cafe. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. A, it was a very special place. I met fellows like Kirk Douglas from The Roots there before he was in The Roots. Wow, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I met all sorts of uh, musicians that now, you know, I hold in incredibly high regard, you know. And then I remember chasing them out, small statues as they were running out of my bar, you know, stealing stuff, you know. And, now and it's that's, like, what, you know, that's <laughs> the type of stuff that, that, that's nostalgia. You know, that's what people, when people do speak fondly of places, it's typically not because of the food. It's because of the human, the human beings behind it you know so uh you can see where people were coming from when their eyes sort of they get gaga when they talk about the sage and and some people bring bring you up to me you know and and uh how entertaining you were over there yeah well that was a very different time but very nice thing about being at the sage at that time is i still hadn't lost my way mm. i still had a great balance between partying and working and contributing and loving it was there you know i could dance with the greatest speed i was there i was in the flow because yeah. i wasn't thinking about it i just was i was present yeah. i was very present to the people that were around me and it wasn't until many years later where the alcohol took effect where you no longer are present and you lost that balance wow. But you can still drink. You can still do a lot of things that aren't always necessarily good for your body as long as you find a balance in, in, in everything. And I think we all know that at this point. We don't always do it, though. When you don't have that balance <laughs> in your life, you become, sus become susceptible to things. Yeah. Um, well, well, well said. Uh, I guess we're going to wrap this up. Yeah, unfortunately. Hope people learn something. But learn I want to have you back, dude. Okay. <laughs> we got you back already. Ah, no worries, man. I uh, really, this is a very uh, brief story about uh, a really incredible experience, and I, I couldn't be more thankful for it at all. Awesome. Yeah, we want to. We want to hear. We want to hear more of it, man. I wish we should have more time. Yeah, but we don't because uh, the corporation uh, needs to cut to the next show. <laughs> yeah, the station manager. <laughs> awesome thank you guys so much for having me here yeah, it's a absolutely, great man. pleasure and I'm looking forward to come back and maybe you have a little bit of uh, I can tell you a little, uh, tell you a little bit more about the nuances of being in the Barson it'll be a much more light heart right. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> man absolutely and, and it, honestly man thank you so much for everything you've done for Patchog like really um, cheers it, 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 it's been amazing You're the man. thank you thank you so much guys alright y'all check you later in my current state and in these days of war we must grow together is near thicken up your skin and loosen up your fears i've been waiting waiting through my limitations